Welcome to another episode of the View Charlotte Real Estate and Entertainment Podcast. My name is Jeremy Orden, one of the partners with the Orden Writer Group at Allen Tate. Each week we will break down a real estate topic, share stories related to the topic, or have guests with experience in various facets of real estate, and then discuss something about our city that makes it unique. This could be restaurants, things to do, fun facts, or well, virtually anything about Charlotte because Charlotte is such an amazing city with limitless opportunities. The idea of continuing to educate our clients to the real estate market so they can make the best decision for their family is a commitment we stand behind, and hopefully each of these episodes will leave at least a little pearl of wisdom with our listeners. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. What? Were you expecting to hear Jeremy's voice as you do every week? Well, unfortunately for you, I am Brittany Osborne. I'm one of the partners with the Orton Ryder Group at Allen Tate, and for this week's episode, I will be your host instead of Jeremy. This week, we are finally going to be turning the table, and instead of Jeremy being the host, I will be hosting, and I'm welcomed by our guest, Jeremy Orton. As a team leader with the Orton Ryder Group, Jeremy is known for his incredible services, clients, his success-driven marketing strategies, and his encyclopedic knowledge about all things real estate. I guess for the first time, I get to say, Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. This feels very weird to be on this side of the desk. It's a little bit different than how we've done things in the past, right? It is, and now all of a sudden, I'm understanding like the awkwardness that people feel when they're in this seat. A hundred percent. Um, so this week's topic is something that we thought was very time sensitive to get out there because as you and I have seen, it has really impacted our local homeowners in the Charlotte um, market and in Mecklenburg County specifically, the tax reassessment of 2023. Yeah, Brittany, um, my phone has just been blowing up this week with questions from homeowners regarding the tax reassessment and we're actively working with our clients on appeals even with us getting you know properties ready for market, negotiating on our listings, and working with our buyers, it seems like the tax reassessment has really become everyone's biggest question. So for this week, we're going to be discussing the tax reassessment, including what the reassessment means for homeowners and what rights and processes are associated if someone wants to appeal their new value. Jeremy, can you give us a quick overview of what the tax assessment reassessment is? Yeah, um... So Mecklenburg County um, has a tax assessor named Ken Joyner. Ken is in charge of leading the assessment of property values for the county. The county determines valuation off of what they consider to be a market value, meaning their interpretation of what the house would sell for in an open market. So for our listeners, is this something similar to having an appraisal performed on a house? The county's approach is based around market value. However, it's determining valuation without ever physically entering into someone's home. So they're using comparable sales data within a region with the majority of the emphasis placed on publicly available information through tax records. So things like square footage, bedrooms, and lot size. So it seems like that's similar um, to the approach that lenders take sometimes when they just send an appraiser out for a mortgage appraisal or what we call sometimes a drive-by appraisal. Yeah, it's it's very similar to that. It's closer to like that desktop appraisal system because these tax assessors are never entering the property. As you and I know, just because two homes are in the same neighborhood and are the same size with similar lot size, that doesn't mean that they have a market value that might be identical. 
One could be drastically updated while another could be in deteriorated condition. However, since there's over 400,000 parcels in Mecklenburg County, it's impossible to perform appraisals on every single property by sending somebody inside the property. So this mass data approach is really the only logical approach that's available. Why does the county reassess these values in the first place? Tax dollars generated from property tax is one of the major avenues of income for the county. Ken Joyner described the reassessment as ensuring that property values, um, as they've increased significantly since the last reassessment, that homeowners are not, in his words, paying close to their fair share due to the market value of the taxes. We've talked in the past about tax valuation being based off of what you are paying taxes on. However, it seems like the assessor is now associating tax value with the market value. Is this new tax value tied with the actual potential selling price of a home? This is where this entire approach undertaken by the county really gets complicated. In the press release, Ken Joyner talked about how the county has used the mass appraisal system essentially exclusively relying on data and recordation of closed properties in the surrounding area. As we saw last year, and is it's happening right now, with multiple offer situations and homes selling above asking prices, we've seen mass appreciation of real estate values. Again, since nobody physically entered or reviewed the property, um, you know, entire neighborhoods were reevaluated off of what was recorded with closed prices. So it's not always indicative of that specific price. So does this tax valuation correlate to potential selling price? In my opinion, no. It's likely a homeowner. Um, this this entire process likely gets a homeowner significantly closer to market value. However, since market value is always going to be determined off of like the basics of like economics 101 with supply and demand, um, it's not an exact science. No one wants higher taxes. Um, and as we saw like with the previous reevaluation that happened, um, a lot of things can change very, very quickly. But if we compare this with where our taxes previously were in like our Charlotte metro area, you could have a tax value of like $213,000 on a home selling north of $500,000. Like it was really disconnected. That being said, until you individually evaluate each parcel on their own merits, an exact evaluation of market value is not going to be possible. That makes a lot of sense. Plus, with market values being based off of supply and demand, that means that pricing can like literally change day to day. Let's say you have a home that's 500000 and multiple people want to buy that house and submit offers. A buyer who might have missed out on other properties or needs to be in that home before school starts or a job starts says to his agent, I don't care what it costs. Like, I just want this house. Right. And they go in 15% above asking price and they're willing to pay any difference on appraisal. Now a $500,000 house has sold for $575,000. That's the definition of market value. So on that day, the market value of that house is now $575,000 versus, you know, all of the data saying it's worth $500,000. Well, and as you and I both know from working with buyers and sellers, this kind of thing happens a lot. Correct. Market value is not a fixed number. And I think that's what makes this such a complicated subject. It fluctuates based off of what the supply and demand are. Like, I always tell this story when I'm working with clients. Um... I don't know. It, it makes sense to me. 
But like when I was a kid, I was really into baseball cards. And there was a guide that was published every month called the Beckett Guide. And it had the values for baseball cards. So every month I would get this magazine and look up my cards and see what happened with the pricing. Like I'd pull out a card and I would say to my father, oh, look, this one went up and it's now worth $8. And he would just turn to me and say, find someone who's willing to give you $8 for it. (laughs) At the time, I just thought he was like being a jerk because a book told me it was worth $8. But in actuality, like when we would go into like baseball card shops, which existed back then. They exist now too. This is a whole new market coming back, you know. We need to do a whole other topic about <laughs> that. And, and we can have your husband on since he's a card expert. But like I would bring in my $8 card to like trade up to something else. And they would offer me like a dollar for it. And that's the true value and, and the best correlation to market value. Something is worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. I mean, and I think this can apply towards not just real estate, but like collectibles, concert tickets. If like you missed out on Taylor Swift tickets and you didn't get your hundred dollar tickets and now you're going to spend a thousand dollars on the secondary market or, or real estate, something is only worth what somebody is willing to give you for it. That's true. And, you know, so as you said, since the county's not individually visiting each property and they're using this mass appraisal system, what can we tell our clients and our listeners, you know, to do if they disagree with their new property assessment? So this is where things get both like simultaneously complicated and simple. The county has determined the value based off of that mass appraisal system. However, they have an appeal for reevaluation that's available to homeowners within a 30-day window. What's the process for someone looking to appeal their tax evaluation? So it really begins by a homeowner going to the county's website, which is reval.mecnc.gov. And then there's a link there that says my property values. You can look up your property and see the new valued price. When you click that link also, there's a link on the page that says appeals. There's also a form that came with the letter regarding the assessment that homeowners received in the mail. So what happens with an appeal? Well, no one's really gone through the full process yet, so we don't know like definitively where this is going to go. Right. However, in the past, it's triggered a formal review of the property from a county board of assessors and then citizen volunteers. We're going to come back to the appeal in a moment. However, with these new values being based off market value, is it safe to say that the uh, since the market values have increased, therefore tax values have increased and that we're going to see an increase in property taxes? Again, like this is where it's complicated. The last time we saw in our general area that a county raised the tax values, they did so while saying that the tax rate would change so that even though tax valuation was going up, that adjustment should be cost neutral to homeowners. With this new one, we don't really fully understand what's going to happen as far as the tax rate Although with the new market value system for tax assessment, we are seeing that property taxes are increasing. So with these new evaluations, because we don't have that definitive announcement yet, that's going to be calculated based off the tax rate for your city, town, or county to determine exactly what your new tax bill will be. It seems overly complicated. Not to steal another one of like my father's favorite comments, but he would always say like, that's the price that you live, that's the price that you pay to live in a free country. And I mean, I, I, we should do an entire episode on just like my father's comments that have stayed with me all these years. I would love for you to go ahead and have him be a part of the podcast. That would be very entertaining. 
All right, so let's get back to the appeal because I know a lot of my clients have asked me about this process. Me too. Like I'm working with over a dozen of my previous clients, family members, and friends on that appeal process. All right, so what does this process look like? So no one's been fully through this process yet. What we're doing for our clients who feel that the new tax value is not in line with where their taxes should be is we're preparing our rebuttals. So this package that we're working on with our clients includes specific information about the property, local applicable comparable data to support the appeal, and a review of the property to support our positions. I have some clients who got their new bills and because they've recently sold the home, like we're very aware of what the market value actually is on that property and where the county's interpretation of value is really far off with some of these properties. So, you know, the appeal is just pretty much a requirement to do. Are there any downsides to submitting an appeal? So this is something I've had a lot of conversations with this week with clients. So in my mind, there's a couple of potential downsides. But since no one's been through the entire process, you know, once again, it's it's really hard to say. In my mind, the downsides that come to mind are the time investment first. Like this isn't something that a homeowner is just going to knock out in like two or three minutes by clicking a couple of buttons and saying like, please lower my taxes. Right. You know, there's an assembly and an analysis of data that needs to happen in order to have any chance of success. Secondly, and and this is the conversation I'm continuing to have with clients, is that if the concept behind the new tax evaluation is based off of market value, what happens when you lower your market value and then attempt to put your home on the market? How is our market going to interpret a crazy differential between asking price and tax value? Wouldn't it just be similar to what we're kind of dealing with now where the numbers are not connected to each other at all? Well, that's what we don't really know. And I think that's what complicates this. Like if you appeal your tax value and you have it successfully lowered to something that you feel is more in line with either where previously it was or where you feel comfortable with your taxes um, and you're looking to pay less for your property tax, How does that free market of buyers interpret the difference when they're looking at a property and they're considering purchasing? I can say for myself, we pretty much disconnect tax value. However, with this new system, if we're going to be seeing these crazy differentials, that's obviously something I would need to bring up with my buyer clients. So are you saying not to appeal tax value if you're thinking about selling? I'm not necessarily saying that, but just relaying the conversations that I've been having with clients lately. You know, to use another one of like my examples, um, look at it as if you were a buyer. If you're seeing a home, and let's stick with my previous example of like a $500,000 number, and it's listed for $500,000 and the tax value is five twenty-five. dollars in your mind, do you think that you're getting a deal? But if those numbers are reversed, and a property's listed at 525000 and then the tax valuation saying 500000 do you feel like you're overpaying? You know, is this something that even enters into people's minds when they're looking at properties? I just think this is such a new thing, and there's so many factors that we need to evaluate and see how they play out. However, at the end of the day, all of my conversations with my clients are really ending with, if you feel that your tax value is not reflective of the valuation, then you should certainly submit an appeal. So you mentioned that you're currently working with clients on appeals. Yeah. For any of our pre- previous clients who are interested, I, I'm working on gathering data and information for them to be able to submit their appeal. 
um, there's been some hard conversations because one of my clients bought a complete gut job recently and she saw her tax valuation more than double. She's nowhere close to having this completed. So the valuation associated with her property is almost like a wish of what they hope that the property would be if she invests another $150,000 into the house. So we're using this as part of our appeal process. Her property specifically is not in line with other properties in the neighborhood because they're pricing the tax value as if it's one of these other homes that have been totally renovated and updated. But that's not the actual subject property. Right. So we really almost need to go in and say, here's what's wrong with this house. This is the amount of work it needs to even get close to that. This is where, you know, we should have a reevaluation of this property. This is really complicated. Where can we send um, people to go get some more information about all of this? So the first thing that I would recommend is calling the tax assessor's office. Um, their phone number is 980-314-4226 or visiting that website that I mentioned, reval.mecnc.gov. Additionally, any real estate agent who stays current on trends and the methodologies of what's going on in our market should be able to assist with the assembly of the information to do the appeal. For our team's clients, we're always happy to assist because we want to make sure that you're paying not only what's the fair amount, but what's the right amount. So all of the agents on our team, like we're reaching out to our clients we're explaining exactly what took place with this reevaluation and then having those conversations to either be like, yeah, I'm sorry, your tax value went up, but this is what it probably should be. Or, hey, based off of the data that we're seeing, this may not be in line. Here are the next steps that you can take. Well, this is definitely a lot of information and certainly a topic that's on everybody's mind right now. So I'm really um, grateful that you took the time to explain it in more detail and um, that you joined me. So how did it feel to be a guest this week instead of driving the conversation as usual? It's really weird and it's awkward. And now it makes me like have a different level of empathy for the, the people who like step into the lion's den. It's It's weird, but I thought you did a really good job of asking the right questions, Brittany. I think I like being in charge, so you get, you better watch yourself. <laughs> you know what? Anytime that you want to take the reins and, and start running with things, I am more than happy to take a backseat. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much for being my guest this week, Jeremy Orden. Um, everybody stick around for our entertainment topic for this week, where Jeremy's going to be back in the host chair with a couple of guests that he's really excited to welcome. For this week's episode, I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast my good friends Jennifer Jones Horton and Barry Horton. As owners of the South Charlotte Restaurant Sanctuary Bistro, Jennifer and Barry are in a unique position to be able to execute a very specific culinary vision. Furthermore, their perspective as people who relocated to Charlotte for both personal and business reasons helps to illuminate the appeal of our city. Jennifer and Barry, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Awesome. So I know that we've tried for a while to get this scheduled, so I'm glad that we could finally make it work with your schedule. You're pretty busy people, huh? (laughs) The restaurant life doesn't leave a lot of extra free time, so it's pretty wild. So let's start with Sanctuary Bistro. What's the concept of your restaurant? Well, we are an all-vegan restaurant um, with a French twist. So Barry is classically trained, um, Le Cordon Bleu, 
um, pre-vegan days, um, he was working with creams and butters, and he has taken all of that skill and brought it to our vegan restaurant, so a casual fine dining restaurant in Valentine. Now, it's not just vegan. Like, we're not just eliminating animal products and dairy products from your menu. You also have a gluten-free aspect, right? Yes. So, I am celiac and have been for 20-plus years. And I, when we decided to open the restaurant, that was really important to me, that I could eat all of the food within the restaurant because it's really hard for me to eat out. So, um, and we have been vegan for 16 years and we really wanted to stick with our mission of compassion and love and having that be the forefront of our restaurant. So we combined those two and now we're vegan and gluten-free. So can you give our audience a little history of Sanctuary Bistro? I, I understand it's not like this wasn't a concept that just started here in Charlotte, right? That's correct. So we are originally, um, well, we our restaurant is originally from California. So we were in Berkeley, California. Uh, we opened our first restaurant in 2013, and we had um, and we've been open for five and a half years. We built up some national acclaim out in California, which was pretty exciting and fun. And then um, our parents, my parents, live in Beaufort, South Carolina, so we wanted to move closer to them, and so we shut that one down and moved out here. And the rest is history. So when did you open Sanctuary Bistro here in Charlotte? We opened here. Our grand opening was on February 21st, 2020. So that ties in as being like immediately before the pandemic started. I believe it was about five weeks prior. Um, I remember it was April when we had to let our staff go from the pandemic. So what was it like having a brand new restaurant going through a complete shutdown? Well, um, there were two sides to that coin. We luckily had, in that five weeks, had a really great reception. So people had experienced our restaurant. A few people had experienced our restaurant. Um, it took us the full three years to now we're finally at the one-year mark where you feel exponential growth. But while going through it, obviously it was really stressful, um, we were down to the bare bones, just Barry and I working the entire restaurant by ourselves and then um, getting creative with how a restaurant runs. So we had private dinners. Two people would rent out the whole restaurant to six, for 260 get a six-course meal, personal chefing, um, chefing from Barry, and then service from me, and then we would do to-go as well. So just trying to float us as we were, you know, living day by day at that time. So it seems like you were really trying to come up with creative solutions to just keep going during that time period, right? Yes, we were nervous because we're a, we're definitely a dine-in type of restaurant. We're an upscale restaurant, plating matters. So takeout wasn't our forte or something that we really wanted to do a lot of. And of course, through the pandemic, we had to do a lot of takeout. So we weren't sure how new people were going to receive us as a takeout restaurant. So that was really stressful. Thankfully, people still liked the flavor quality of the food, even though it was takeout. Um, and now people are coming in, you know, a lot of people for the first time just now in 2023. 
um, after having had us as takeout for a long time. And they're like, wow, this food's even more amazing than I knew it could be. So that's exciting that people held out um, through that wildness. So, you know, not to go off on a random Jeremy tangent, like I have a tendency to do. I guess if you do it all the time, it's not a tendency, it's a frequency. <laughs> it's pattern. It's just my pattern. But, you know, I know the first time that we came there, we did that private dining. And it was just one of those amazing experiences. Like as soon as we left, we were telling everybody we knew and we were trying to book that experience afterwards. So... Well, I'm glad that you guys are open for business as usual now. I do have to say, like, I kind of miss the days of, like, those private meals of having the entire restaurant to yourself. I think a lot of people do. And it was such a unique, exciting experience for people. The The cost of actually running it that way would be much more. We were, we were offering at a low price just to get people in the door and to try us out. Um, we'd have to offer a much higher price to pay the bills just the electrical bill alone for one day is more than what we made in that um private dinner so i wish i had written down everyone that had done that private dinner because i would love to just talk to them about it it was such a cool unique experience and to come back a bunch of those people are obviously regular still um so it was a really fun, unique experience. It would be hard to do now because it just wouldn't be affordable. It doesn't make ends meet, to be honest. I think part of the excitement at the time was everybody was, you know, stuck in their house and eating takeout and or, and or cooking for themselves. And so I finally got to step outside and be out in public and still feel like, you know. Part of humanity. Yeah, be feel normal for a second, actually get a uh, restaurant meal like in and, the restaurant yeah and gets served and stuff i think that was kind of special so you mentioned moving from the west coast to charlotte what what was the appeal of charlotte as a destination well my parents are like i said are in beaufort south carolina and that didn't seem like a good fit for us for our restaurant for um, what we were trying to do, we definitely wanted that urban feel. We are we're coming from the city. We're coming from a bigger urban spot with the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, so we wanted that urban feel, but we liked that it was voted number one family friendly city um, in North Carolina. We also really liked that it had all the amenities that we might want to have access to: the arts, music. Um, but it also had a little bit of a vegan scene already established here in Charlotte. So we felt like we would be able to contribute to that vegan scene and maybe help elevate it a little bit and make be part of something that was already growing here. So we thought we could really have an impact here. So I've spoken with other chefs on the podcast, and it seems like the concept of vegetable forward, vegetarian and vegan, is really starting to become more prevalent. Why do you think that this change has started to take place? I think people are starting to recognize um, a few things. One, I think people are egocentric. So we always start with our own health first. And a lot of people are recognizing and a lot of doctors are slowly starting to recognize that nutrition plays a really deep role in our health and wellness. Um, and so eating a more plant-forward diet helps support 
our parents were never like, you have to eat every piece of steak on your plate. They had always said, you have to eat all your green beans. I mean, we always knew that vegetables were an important part of our diet. Um, when we added the word vegan to it, people got more nervous about it and thought it was more extreme. But really, it's just about showcasing vegetables and healthy products. I mean, not always, but um, in general, we really try to focus on um, showcasing things that are grown from this earth and that we are meant to eat. And it's amazing. Well, I think there's a larger media platform now to uh, show the, the ways that you can cook vegetables and present it as opposed to, you know, 10 or 15 years ago where you just had like your newspaper and you opened it up or, or uh, you know, a ma your local magazine. Now you've got social media, you got Twitter, you got Instagram, Facebook, and all these, all these platforms are, are a way to show, and you're seeing it on, you know, regular, more reels. normalized way. Yeah. So it's making it, it's more comfortable feeling to, to see vegetables here and there and on your plate. And but stuff. the idea of veganism is definitely not a new concept. Not I mean, a people new concept. have been vegan. I have some of our customers are like, I've been vegan since the seventies, and um, so while I've been vegan sixteen years, like people have been vegan for forty years or fifty years, and it was much harder back then, and people were doing it because the second part of that, um, while health is one thing. The second part is that people are starting to realize that there is um, a health of our planet and that agriculture and um, animal agriculture is really struggling to find a better way in the support of the health of our planet. So people are trying to find ways to do better. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, even last night, like I sent my wife a link that like popped up in my Facebook feed where it was like the New York Times had a recipe for, oh, I'm going to totally butcher this, um, but it was like a roasted broccoli dish that's, you know, right there that the New York Times is advertising as the best broccoli dish that they've ever seen. Whereas like we used to see it be like a steak recipe that would be featured there. Right. It, it seems like it's entering into like the public consciousness a lot more about doing vegetable forward dishes. Um, that is definitely true. A lot of one of the things that I think is new is that there are a lot of uh, medical professionals that are starting to speak out amongst veganism. Maybe not so much here in Charlotte yet, but in California, there was a whole hospital that. Um, called Kaiser that would promote veganism. I mean, or plant-based, not veganism, but plant-based eating. Um, and then there was Dr. Greger, and um, there, there's been a ton of books that have come out. Doctors have done it, the China study. Um, so it's people are starting to shift their thoughts as they're learning more. Um, that the China study is amazing. It, he was trying to prove that more protein was good, and he had outproved himself. And now is a huge advocate for um, the plant-based diet. And so that's another thing. People are much more willing to listen to medical professionals. Unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't promote it because they're only given a few credits in nutrition. Um, so we've had to do a lot of our own self-study about nutrition and learn how, what the impacts of, of food. So that changes a lot. 
So I'll admit that I'm obviously very biased when it comes to you guys and your restaurant. Well, the food and service is always amazing. You've also excelled with these special events that you put on. Can you talk with us a little bit about the special private dining events that you've done? Like, not where you have the entire restaurant to yourself, but the special theme nights that you've done. Yeah, those are the part that's really fun for me. That's the part of my job that I really like doing. Like a Mother's Day event. We have a Passover event. We did, um, what else have we done, Barry? You did the Valentine's event. Valentine's Day, yes. That's my favorite. Um, we really like making a meal. It's, again, the six-course meal, um, lots of different, almost like a tasting menu throughout the night, wine pairing. That's where it's really fun for us. We love doing those kinds of nights. They're a little more upscale, a little more focused, usually a little bit of the weird side. I'm a little goofy and weird, so I add little token so for valentine's day you had like little love fest things to do in between and then you had dates to take home and do at home we do new year's eve which is super fun that's where all of these event nights started we do um again a multi-course meal and in between every course we have a tradition from around the world so um it's just really fun you get to be a little bit strange you get to be a little bit of a kid again just to access that inner side of us that we're so uptight all the time i think we just are working so hard that sometimes it's nice to let go and just play a little and this gives you an opportunity to do that you know i i look back on you know some of the recent ones that we did like we went with two other couples to your christmaca oh yeah um, one and like we just had the best night out and it wasn't like you were going out for drinks then you were going for a meal then you were going somewhere else like our entire experience was just encompassed in an evening you know with you guys in the restaurant it was it was an amazing night and we all just left going like when's the next one that we could do but of course like we didn't want to do a group date for like the valentine's day <laughs> well yeah that would be weird but christmaca was super fun because you got to learn dreidel you built your own ornament so you just get to let go and it's like a three and a half hour experience three hours to three and a half hour experience of just like food and beverages and fun i think so. i think my favorite part was uh we invited everybody to bring their uh ugly sweater and we had a little ugly sweater contest that was fun uh seeing everybody bring in their their best best christmas sweater there is a community aspect to that because people start cheering for each other and start connecting with each other people start talking to their neighbors a little bit maybe not for valentine's day but for some of the other traditions on new year's day we might all cross over the threshold together and we're all cheering for each other that's to bring luck for the new year and we all want as a community everyone in that space to end up with luck for the new year um and so i love that community vibe that comes along with those dinners i thought it like those are just my favorite things so you know i'm always like texting i'm like just let me know and just put me down for the next one because i don't care what the theme is like i just (laughs) want to go do this again so you know how would you rate charlotte's restaurant scene as a whole right now um it's pretty fun we um one of the things that we do is we promote every vegan restaurant in Charlotte. So we have a what we call the vegan passport. And so you can find every vegan restaurant, every mobile truck that is vegan. And we also 
do the restaurants that offer like really successful vegan options. So they're clearly labeled. You don't have to question it. The service is very clear on what is vegan. They even have a separate menu. Um, so for us, we think that's really important. And there's about 30 plus, 30 to 40 restaurants the, on there. The list is quite impressive, actually, for being a East Coast, Southern state. I think I think the the vegan options in, in the Charlotte area is, is pretty abundant. For a small city, you wouldn't have expected so much. And we surprise a lot of people when they're like, there's this many vegan restaurants? I had no idea. And that list, we're always changing it. I just found out about another restaurant. So the menu, that passport will be changing this week, adding a new restaurant. So super fun. So from personal experience, I know that there are some restaurants that my wife and I really love, but we refuse to ever go back there again just because of service. Part of your mission, and it seems like every time that we're in your restaurant, is that service is really at the forefront and the customer experience is important. How do you view your philosophy when it comes to service and the customer experience? Yeah, well, I have two sides to that coin. One, I would say you got to give a restaurant a few tries because there's always going to be a bad day. We are definitely all humans. And so sometimes we something might have happened for us and we aren't as good at hiding it as we should be. Um, so I, I do believe that restaurants deserve a few tries, especially during, at this post-pandemic um, lifestyle right now. It is impossible to hire anybody. So we are working with very limited staff where we used to have two people working dinner. We are one person only at dinner. They make your drinks, they bust your tables, they serve you. Our main priority for us when we hire somebody is not if they are the best server on the planet. It is if they're kind, because if somebody's kind, they're going to at least connect with you in a loving way. And if they mess up your drink, they're going to fix it. So, um, to me, that's more important that they're kind and ready to talk with you and connect with you than the best server in the whole planet. Um, because the best server in the whole planet could be a total asshole at your table. And then that's not as fun of an experience, you know? So we really want to make sure you connect with us because our real true philosophy as a restaurant isn't about service. It's about welcoming you into our home you're part of the family now the second you walk in the door. And while you might not be like our brother and sister that first time because we're just getting to know you, the next few times you're part of the family. Jeremy, we met at the restaurant and now we're really good friends. And that is not uncommon for us. We meet people in the restaurant and then we connect with people. And that is what is important. So while we might make mistakes, we are related, we're family, we're friends. And that is what's important. So I'd like that you just brought up connection because as people who moved to the Charlotte area, you know, several years ago, you've gotten really connected with community involvement. You've done fundraising for various nonprofits and different organizations. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yep. Um, I have, just to go back a little bit, I was a special ed teacher for 18 plus years I worked um, in various roles in the special education world. A large part of that was working with kids coming out of juvenile hall or expelled from school. Um, there is so much disparity in this world that um, it was really important for us, no matter what we did, 
to have a platform to be able to try to make change. So just being a vegan restaurant, we're making change. We're trying to contribute less to the environmental aspect of the world. We're creating food that's compassionate. But there are so many not, we can't do everything because we are, you know, two people. So we can't do all of the things that we want to fight for. But we have a um, platform. So we, every Wednesday night, we donate 10% to different local nonprofits for the animals. It could be for the cats, for local housing, um, and different nonprofits that will support our Charlotte community. Because the only way we're going to, make this world a better place is if we each step up a little bit this is how we feel like we can step up and it's also showcasing what other people are fighting for and you can participate in helping them in a broader way and we feel like every little bit creates a ripple so maybe little change makes bigger change so i have a tendency to geek out a little bit when i have chefs on the podcast so Barry, are you willing to let me put you on the spot for some chef questions? Sure, let's do it. All right. So we have this like little rapid fire that I've done with people in the past. This is going to be our rapid fire question round. What is your favorite ingredient to work with? Uh, that's good. I love I love mushrooms, and you'll see lots of mushrooms on the menu. Um, but currently, I'm I'm doing a uh, working with lion's mane. Uh, it's just. Uh, Something new for me um, since being in Charlotte um, of an ingredient, and I've, I've absolutely grown to love it. Uh, I, I, it's it's an amazing um, texture, and when you initially see it, you're, you're like, "This fluffy ball is um, edible," and it's <laughs> like, it looks like a little creature, really, when you see it fresh. Kind of like so a bunny it's like rabbit. Kind of, it's kind of like a fuzzy mushroom, but I slice it, I'll marinate it for for a while, and then and then right now I currently make a a uh, roast out of it. So I kind of uh, after it's marinated, I kind of press it and then and then cook it on a flat top, and it kind of turns into like um, the texture is kind of uh, kind of like a, it's a meaty texture. It's amazing, and that's just just a little of what I've gotten to do with it, play with it. But you know, there's more in the future, I'm sure. What is your favorite comfort food meal? Comfort food meal. Wow. Um, probably probably vegan nachos. Um, I, you know, some chips, some vegan cheese. Uh, that's personally, if I, if I go home, I'll, that's, that's kind of a comfort food for me. Um, at the restaurant, if I was to order something, a comfort food, I'd definitely get the crispy oyster mushrooms. It's a... Nice crispy fried mushroom with a with a sweet Dijon sauce. It's, it really hits the spot. And our mushrooms are bought from a local guy, um, Urban Gourmet Farms. His name is Iram. You can get them at the Matthews Farmers Market, and they are amazing. So super, super. You cannot get fresher than this. He delivers to us three times a week, so they are as fresh as possible. And they're also amazing. Like reheated the next day. Well, if you have an air fryer, forget about it. It's so good. That's exactly what we did. Like, I mean, it's it's like two meals in one. It's so good. Barry, what's the best meal you've ever had? Ever? Ever. Um, I, I think back when we used to live in the Bay Area, there's a, a sushi restaurant called Shizen in San Francisco. And uh, I still daydream about their spicy uh 
uh, ramen bowl it is amazing. I actually text my friends uh, back in the Bay Area sometimes and ask them when they've had it last just because <laughs> try to live vicariously through them. But um, that and then I get we'd, we'd go there on special meals, get a spicy ramen bowl and uh, a couple specialty sushi rolls. It's I mean, it's amazing. Maybe a little sake on the side. So my wife and I have this ongoing joke where, you know, you you have a meal and then you remember that that meal is so good. So you go back to have it again. And if it meets the memory, like mm. it meets that expectation, we call it deja food. Oh, nice. Ooh. See, patent pending on that one. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Other than your restaurant, what is your current favorite place to eat in Charlotte? I'm probably going to butcher this, but Sri Bellagio. It's Sri Balaji. Balaji, yes. And it's in Pineville. It's it's a new Indian restaurant. South Indian food. um, And if I recommend anything, I would get the Mr. and Mrs. Dosa, where you get a pick, you get a dosa, and you get an uthapam, and it's like best of both worlds and it's it's amazing that's that's the go-to we we've just discovered them like a couple months ago and have been like two or three times it's it's amazing we also love the nachos from soul miners garden and they have like vegan chicken wings over there Soul miners so good and then if if we get up to to camp north end which we don't we're kind of stuck in our little south charlotte bubble but when we get up to camp north end we'll uh hit up Plant Joy, which they just started making pizzas. So it's Pizza Joy. Yeah, Pizza there. Joy. Um, but that's amazing as well. There's so many really good spots. Barry, what made you want to be a chef? Well, um, I kind of just, just something I kind of just fell into when I was younger. Um, in grade school, we my grade school had an open lunch. So uh at lunchtime when I was like in fourth or fifth grade, I, I lived a block away from an elementary school. So I'd run home, um, make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and turn on PBS. And uh, this chef, Graham Kerr, would be on TV and I'd watch his television show. I just watched cooking class, cooking show and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwich almost every day for like uh, probably through my fourth and fifth grade years. And then from there, I just kind of always had an interest in it uh kind of baby it's funny because after that i kind of babysat a couple kids but what we would do is we'd make cookies or bake do some sort of baked item that like entertain the kids and we'd have nice treats at at the end of the day how do you come up with new recipes (laughs) wow um jennifer 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 comes up with the ideas and then i create it (laughs) sometimes that happens sometimes it's like Tomorrow we're just doing this, and it's like ran- he just makes something randomly on the fly. Sometimes, sometimes I'm like, okay, we- it's time to change. It's a new season, so it's time to change the menu, and I'll come up with some ideas to try to help spark it. And then he might take that spark and go run with it, or he might go in a whole different tangent. Um, so he oftentimes starts with an ingredient i'll be like okay we need a new lion's mane dish and so that it starts with an ingredient starts with an ingredient it's one or two ways either it starts with an ingredient that i see that's you know because we change our menu seasonally so i'll see something that's that's going to be around for for a couple months and then i'll grab that ingredient and then we'll i'll come up with something um or 
we'll see something amazing that's not vegan and and then I'll kind of do my version and just veganize it and then you know usually it turns out by the second or third try but you know we just keep trying and uh, come up with something similar to it and it's turns out to be amazing what is your favorite band red hot chili peppers favorite tv show uh dexter dexter's good uh that makes me a little bit paranoid he actually likes true he listens to podcasts and it's true crime right now i'm doing like true i'm listening to true crime crime like dateline right now (laughs) but i'm i'm into that uh i'm monk so just so you know i like quirky light funny shows with a little twist my wife is into all of this true crime stuff so if i ever disappear like she's the one who did it you and i both i feel like the same about barry i'm like he's learning how to murder me they all they always look at spouse first I've learned that through, through the true crime, crime it's always series. Always a spouse. <laughs> what is one cooking tip that you would share with people? Um, well, mine, because I'm not the chef, would be to be comfortable with... I mean, if you're trying to become vegan, um, just shifting the pantry or trying one new recipe. And um, creams. Cashews make the best creams. What would you say as a chef? Um, well, I would always recipes are always just kind of kind of a blueprint. You have to you have to like add your own ingredients and tweak tweak every recipe that you see in, in a cookbook. I think because um, everybody does it a little bit different. I think just uh, and the end product is going to be amazing whether it comes out looking like the picture. Or whatever, but you know, you just keep trying. And, Unless you're uh, like Jeremy and try to make the cashew, um, our New England oyster mushroom chowder, and you use roasted cashews uh, instead of raw cashews. But you always start with the main, <laughs> with the recipe. You try the recipe the first time, and if it's not exactly as you want it, just play with it. That's the fun part about cooking. A lot of people are afraid to play in the kitchen. My my favorite date night, before we owned a restaurant, Barry and I would go to the supermarket and get two strange ingredients, and the pantry and refrigerator were open. You could use anything, and we would do chopped challenge date nights, which is something I do for Valentine's Day, and we would just cook against each other and eat a meal. Sometimes it was successful. Sometimes it was total crap. Sometimes I would win, and sometimes he would win. Like It was so fun, and you just play with food and that's how you find out what you like because we are we are such creatures of habit so play with different food i think that's my number one advice for the kitchen i i love that you brought up that uh the the cashew story because (laughs) you know i have your cookbook i was excited to you know make this oyster mushroom soup and yeah, I mean, if if there's a way to mess up a dish, I will certainly come up with it. I Bear- like finding why it doesn't work so I can be like, it's not our fault, I promise. You should read the terms and conditions and, <laughs> you know, use raw cashews and not, like, roasted ones. Barry, my final quick fire, or I guess rapid fire question for you. Did it make you cringe when you were watching me overcook everybody's food while we were out at the pool? <laughs> <laughs> 
Barry loves any food that he has not made. So people get very nervous to cook for Barry. And I know I'm speaking for him right now, but like you could make him a veggie dog in a bun and he would be so excited because he did not cook it. Like he does not judge people when they make food. If you are making food for him, he is so honored because one, a lot of people are so scared to cook food for him. One, two, I am not cooking food for him. And because I am not cooking I'm, and I'm making like Instapot soups when I do cook. So anybody who makes anything that's vegan that he can eat, he is like so excited and so proud to be partake. So. So the answer to that is not judging you at all. Not judging. OK, because you did make the comment. You're like, you know, you should probably turn the heat down on that <laughs> as things were going up in flames. <clears throat> well, I mean, we're trying not to have your house catch on fire. But other than that, um, no judgment. It, it was humbling, to say the least. So <laughs> let's get back to Sanctuary Bistro. I've brought a lot of friends who are definitely not vegetarian or vegan to your restaurant. And everyone has loved it. Do you think that there's a barrier to entry that people see when it comes to trying vegan food? People are very, very afraid of the word vegan. Um, because we're all creatures of habit, because we know what we like or we think we know what we like, we and we have a mindset about what veganism is. Maybe we've tried that one vegan hot dog that we thought was so disgusting. We are so afraid to try something new. Um, Barry is cooking with all rec mostly recognizable ingredients. So maybe you haven't had all the mushrooms, maybe, but they're all things that you eat regardless. And he's just using them in a really high quality way and buying all high quality ingredients. And so I think once people come in the door, they really see that food can be accessible. Vegan food can be accessible and have all the mouthfeel that you're looking for. But it's nice having somebody bring them in the door. We only try to get people in the door through word of mouth because honestly, people get so scared. We've had somebody come in accidentally um, because Eggs Up Grill down the way closed. So they came in accidentally. They saw it was a vegan menu. And when we turned away, they ran out the door and down the street. We watched them running down the street. They were so scared to just try something. But the people who accidentally come in and try something, we'll have them try our New England oyster mushroom chowder. And they're like, oh my God, you don't even realize that there's not, that it's not vegan. I have an agent on my team that anytime I mention I'm going there, like she's obsessed with your beet salad with oh, the blue so cheese good. dressing. Like the blue cheese dressing is what got her and she just thinks it's the best thing she's ever had. Yeah, that beet salad is, one, it's gorgeous. It's got multiple colors, different types of beets, hemp seeds, greens, the citrus vinaigrette, the blue cheese dressing. So that's just Chef Barry's pure magic. What is your vision for your restaurant moving forward? Um, right now, um, post-pandemic, during the pandemic, restaurant life was like hard, hard. Restaurant work is usually what I call hard fun. And during the pandemic, it became hard, hard. It's starting to become hard fun again, which is really nice. So we've been much more creative with our special dinners that we were talking about earlier. We have more coming up. So we have a, the Passover one coming in April. There's a Mother's Day one coming in May. 
So working on doing that once a month. We've started cooking classes now that were post-pandemic, and that's really fun. And those are themed. Um, so getting more of those fun events where we get to just be more of a community um, is the vision. This year is our focus, getting those events back up and running on a more regular basis and, and making it a more fun, hard job again. Any plans to open a location in Fort Mill? No, (laughs) there is not plans to expand. The one thing that I think is amazing about us and a lot of people ask us because there's a lot of vegan food deserts here in Charlotte, unfortunately, little areas that need a vegan place. But the thing that makes us so special is that we do work so hard to get to know you and connect with you and say hello to you remember our stories with you Um, we've celebrated births and deaths together Um, we hug you when you come in if that's what you like I mean we really get to connect with people and so to open another restaurant we wouldn't be able to be there Barry is the chef he cooks all of the food so if you are eating food from our restaurant Barry has made it for you and um I just think expanding would lose that family feel that you get when you come there. One of my favorite things to do is to ask business owners how the economics of our area have helped guide their decision to open a business here. So how have the economics of our city helped guide your decision to open a business here? Well, I think you'd be surprised to know that um, the restaurant business is much more competitive here in Charlotte. There's less family businesses, a lot more corporate businesses here. So it's, if not the same expense to run a restaurant here, maybe a little bit more to run a restaurant here because um, it's so competitive. So owning a restaurant in Charlotte is a little more, you know, you you have to fight a little harder to um, make your space and keep your space. So I, I know business from the restaurant life. I mean, most restaurants, 80% of restaurants shut down in the first year, 60% in the first three years. The pandemic has thrown those numbers out the window that those are very skewed to a much higher shutdown rate. So you can't, in, a, in the restaurant business, you do it because you love it, you're passionate about your mission. And that's really why we are here, just to spread amazing food, compassionate food. Um, It is definitely not to get rich quick. You own and run a family business. I recently had a conversation with my state senator, and he was emphasizing the importance of family and small business on the economy, especially our local economy. Why do you feel that a family or small business is so vital vital to the economic and cultural growth of a city? I mean, your family business are your neighbors. So when you're supporting a family business, you're supporting a family. I mean, their children, their your local economy. When you go to Target, I mean, which I'm a Target lover, that is not your local economy. So if we really want to support local when you come to our restaurant you're supporting us and our staff directly and then we are spending money within our community so that money is staying in charlotte and that's the nice thing about going to family run businesses you help me put my kids into scouts you help me 
Um, go eat at Sri Balaji. Um, so that is, and it's harder, a family business, everything costs more. So when you compare us to another one of your favorite restaurants that is a corporate owned restaurant, it costs us a lot more to buy produce. We, our margins are much smaller. We focus on buying all organic, buying gluten-free, making sure that it's really high quality, buying local ingredients. And because of that, we pay a lot more for corn or for the lion's mane mushroom because we're not buying in the bulk that these major corporate restaurants can. And they're not buying from the local community. So I bought them from Irem. So I can tell you exactly where that mushroom came from. I know whose hand picked that mushroom. So I think that's really important to sustaining our local community. Talk to me about your cookbook. We made our cookbook while we were still in California. Um, that was a definite labor of love. We opened our first restaurant when our kids were one and four. I was wearing them. I was wearing our daughter on my back while we were pouring coffee. And, um, and through that, I took Barry's recipes that were made for a huge restaurant and brought them down to a family size um, meal and... I don't know, it might have taken us five years to make. Um, and it's a definite labor of love. The cover is the picture of his book, the composition notebook that he wrote all his secrets in. My kids and I ate dinner one night on these pieces of paper to make a bunch of stains. I had a glass of wine and made wine stains on it. And we took pictures of all of those in there throughout the cookbook. But it's also little snippets of kindness, um, living in this world together as a community that's really important to us. That's about, you know, food is important, but it's also about just spreading love and kindness. And that's sort of showcased throughout the cookbook. There's lots of tips for how to make it easier for you. And the other thing is that we really try to make the cookbook accessible. So it's not going to be complicated recipes. The ingredients shine, and you can do that with very little manipulation. That's really important. I think the fun thing about the cookbook is uh, once we had the base copy finished, we, we gave it to all our friends and customers of our Berkeley restaurant and had them test the recipes. So the, res the recipes aren't just tested by chefs. They're tested by regular, ordinary people that that just have you know regular household utensils and and we gave it to them they went out got the ingredients and then made it in their own home kitchen so this isn't like somewhere made in some lab somewhere where, where professionals were testing the recipes these are just regular people testing i think then i think that's important because that makes it that much more special that you can make the recipes in this because everybody else you know it's possible I would just recommend that you follow the recipes and don't make silly substitutions for ingredients that... Or do you do that because then you're playing with your food and you'll find out and then you'll talk to us. That's the other part of it is that if you shoot us an email, you cook from our cookbook, it doesn't work out and you shoot us an email, I, we are going to respond to you. You are going to get an email back from Jennifer, me, and it's going to tell you like, well, how did... I might ask you some questions. Tell me about your cashews. Were they raw? Were they roasted? And then we can get to the root of the problem. So that's the other part of it is you can have that whole 
connection with us in a more real way. Yeah, actually, uh, a couple months ago, somebody from Idaho had gotten one of our first editions of the cookbook before edits and was like, well, what did they say? Something was missing or there was an ingredient missing or maybe some steps. There was a bunch of typos. Typos. And so we, we mailed them out the current, current edited revised version and uh they were very surprised to to get that in their mail well i'll say this it you know when when i did bring up with you how i messed up that oyster mushroom chowder at least you felt comfortable enough with me to you know tell me what i did wrong and then mock me for it which (laughs) i mean i I mean mean, that's the way to be right that's that's how i like people to interact with me so it, it was really good now, we're not mocking every single person that comes in. We try to get your vibe. So, Jeremy, you definitely have the vibe where you like that snarky, sarcastic, which is also sort of my vibe. So people who are snarky and sarcastic, we are going to be laughing and joking and making snarky comments throughout the dinner and every time we see each other. And if you're a more subdued, quiet person, we're going to have that kind of connection. So we're able to shift our connection yeah i didn't want to imply that you know if you email jennifer that she's going to come back and be like i'm just gonna make fun of you (laughs) that's it i'm definitely not gonna make fun of you so you mentioned now the cooking classes that you're going to be doing what tell me a little bit more about this and what people can expect from it yep it's about a three-hour experience again um two of those hours will be cooking you'll be learning different culinary skills you'll make recipes throughout and then we sit down for the last hour you'll eat that meal that you've just created and ask questions we'll be eating with you so it'll be myself and chef barry so it's a really fun experience we did the basics course last month this year this month we're doing starches and something else starches and starches and salads starches and salads thank you um for this month and so you get a lot of culinary skills through that and then we eat it together and there's 12 months of um lessons that are scheduled out and um, we're excited to just play with people again it's really fun we have eight we limit it to eight people we laugh we talk we communicate people ask their own personal chef questions from their own kitchen kitchens while they're there and so you get to learn a lot of tricks i mean even we're watching so we we saw people how they walked with their knives and we would edit that skill you know um how to cut an onion so all of these things that we've been doing all our lives where there's always room for improvement for all of us and so that's what it just makes it fun to just become a little bit more efficient in the kitchen. So I also wanted to touch base on your newsletter. So Jennifer, you compose these like really inspirational updates that not only provide information, but also like affirmation to your audience. What was the idea behind the newsletter? We're a mission-driven restaurant. Compassion is the mission. Um, And so it's just another way for me to connect with the guests of the restaurant. Um, I can't necessarily talk to everyone that comes through the door, 
but I do want to connect with everyone that comes through the door or wants to participate. And it's amazing how many people do want to participate in that way. A lot of us feel lonely in the world. We are feeling separate. It doesn't feel, um, community feels a lot more sporadic. And so when you are part of our newsletter, you're a deeper part of the community. They're just random thoughts that I have experience. It could be that I had a tough week and it's how I got through it. And that gives some, you know, people a way to connect. Like they realize they're not alone in having had a tough week. It's also a reminder um, about being nice to each other. We often forget that on our day-to-day, it's so grinding sometimes. We we have to do a lot more in our day-to-day. Everybody's working so hard to exist in this world. Um, if they have kids, to raise the kids, to make their workday happen, to get their houses in order, or their apartments in order. I mean, there's just such a high demand on our lives that we forget that we are all in this together. And it's just that little piece of reminder that I'm here with you, we are together, we are community, even if we can't see each other all the time. Um, And a lot of people, surprisingly, I get lots of responses to every email. People write me back. They like feeling connected in the world, and we're happy that we can do that. What hours and days is Sanctuary Bistro open? We're Wednesday through Saturday. So Wednesday through Friday, we have lunch, 1130 to 3 um, we have dinners Wednesday through Saturday, 5.30 to 9, which we highly recommend reservations for. And we have brunch on Saturdays from 10 to 3. And there are three very different menus. Where can our audience go to learn more about your restaurant and your endeavors? If you go to www.sanctuarybistro.com, which is S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y-B as in boy, I-S-T-R-O.com, um, we post everything there. I try to keep up with it week to week. You can see our menus, our upcoming cooking classes, our upcoming benefit dinners. We also host different artists every six months. We showcase artists from the community of Charlotte so you can see um, who is currently showing in the restaurant and then who has shown in the past so you can connect to them. Um, So we're pretty excited to just participate and and we try to keep that up weekly. Amazing. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me this week. I know that we worked for a while to make this happen, but you got through all of my questions. Whoop, whoop. We're amazing. Was it as bad as you thought it might be? We love, we love interviewing. I love talking about Sanctuary. Come join us. We can't wait to meet you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to our audience for joining us once again, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the View Charlotte Real Estate and Entertainment Podcast.